0: Minimum of four lines for twenty five dollars per line per month without auto pay discount using debit or bank account five dollars more per line without auto pay plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at twenty four monthly bill credits for all qualified customers. Contact us before canceling accounts to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due thirty five dollars per line connection charge applies. ctmobile.com
1: dot uh, We have Chris Vandyhoof in studio here to chat about a whole bunch of stuff, including his Bengals moving on to the Houdet. the AFC. I, th- I think that what so who that is in New Orleans and what what is it in Cincinnati? Who day? Who it's stupid. Yeah, it's dumb. Okay. Okay. All right, we're back here in Studio 711 here on Brian and Company in WTIC News Talk 1080. Chris Hoof from Penn Lincoln Strategies. And, uh, you know, we'll talk a bunch of policy. I want to talk about this 4 a.m. bar thing. I want to talk about early voting. I want to talk about Connecticut in general. We might even get into tickets. But you're a huge Bengals fan. Huge Bengals fan. Lifelong. And you Because you were born, born and raised in Ohio? I was born in Michigan, raised in Ohio, moved out here when I was 21. So Okay. So you brought that with you. Now, I was— it's funny you say you say that because when I in the 80s when I was a kid, I mean the Patriots were bad. I was a huge fan that that Ken Anderson Super Bowl. I rooted for I mean you were too young, but I rooted for the Bengals. And even the Boomer one, I rooted for the Bengals both against San Fran, right? right. And they've lost them both, but I uh, I was not a believer in in Joe Burrow at all. And I I, I Are we past that now? Yeah. <laughs> okay. Hundred percent. Some people think he is. I mean, who, who knows? No one's gonna. I don't think anyone's gonna play it until their mid forties. But people think of all the great young quarterbacks. He's the biggest comp to Brady potentially if he can break through and, and win one. Just yeah, because it, of how clutch he is.
2: I think it's the fact that he gets the ball out as fast as he does. He reads the defense as well as he does, uh, and he's just Joe Cool, right? I mean, he just has that swagger that you want in a quarterback, and outside of Mahomes and. You know, maybe Justin Herbert and Josh Kelly. I don't think there's a lot of other guys in the league that have that right now. No,
1: and he's got results. He'll be, you know, he's in this game for the second time. But I I did want to really talk about this because I don't know if Matt knows this, but you were at the Bengals-Bills game when DeMar Hamlin died on the field. Yeah, yeah, it was wild. And so can you give a sense of what the scene was like Like when you knew something serious, that, like was he convulsing on the field? Like did they all collapse on him so you couldn't see? Like give us a – a scene setter if you will because it was you know they went to commercial so many times it was hard to really get a sense of it from our couch
2: yeah it was it was it was a, a surreal experience we were uh, in the 200 level just sort of above right where he was uh I go to a game every year with a friend of mine who lives here in Connecticut and uh, I didn't see him go down I'd looked away for whatever reason uh he had gone back he'd gone down and earlier in the game there was another player who had a head injury that went down who i think was number 33. And so we thought it was that guy again, because all we saw was the three. Right. Uh, but what I, my biggest rem- memory of this is uh, uh, the, there was this, this woman who worked for the Buffalo Bills who was very short, uh, and she went sprinting off the field pretty quickly after it happened. And I, the friend I go with is an ER doc here in Connecticut. Oh, wow. Uh, and she comes running back out with this kind of this bag over her shoulder, and he said to me, that's an AED bag.
1: It's a defibrillator. Yeah, a defibrillator
2: yeah. bag. Uh, and at the same time, you could see the bills sort of doctors, trainers, whoever they were motioning to the Bengal sideline, "We for, need help, we need help." And so they all ran out, and this girl drops off the bag, and she's I mean, she is probably not barely up to the waist of most of the players. And she's shoving these linemen around to make a circle around him. so you couldn't see in the stadium what they were doing. And the last sort of thing we could see was them cutting his jersey a little bit, and you could see somebody doing chest compressions on him. Uh, from where we were, uh, and it was it was just surreal. I mean, there's six <clears throat> excuse me, sixty five thousand people there, and you could it was so quiet we could hear the players talking on the field from where we were sitting, which is, wasn't that close to the field. We were up a little bit.
1: So you were able to because chest compressions, when done right, are very rough. Oh, and yeah. it's not a, a yeah.
2: You could see the trainer, the doctor, whoever it was, doing them, bouncing up and down on them. And then they covered it up so you couldn't see it. Well, they tried. They had the players standing around kind of facing. But, I mean, players were super emotional. Fans were emotional. Um, you know, the ambulance was out there, I bet, within two minutes. Um, you know, you knew relatively quickly that it was something very serious.
1: And so then what happens? You, you- – Then the ambulance comes on and takes them, and then you just – when do you know you're going home? I mean, (laughs) what an experience that – I mean, it's just so surreal.
2: Yeah, to experience something like that with 60,000 of your closest friends, right, is an odd – everybody kind of handles it differently, right? And I got to say, you know, we hung out for a little bit. PA announcer came over and said, you know, the game's temporarily delayed. We saw the Zach Taylor-Sean McDermott conversation happen. You could see them both kind of shaking their head and being like, no – um, you know, you saw coaches and people on their phone on the field, which is obviously you never see that. Uh, so we hung out for a little bit, but you knew pretty quickly what was going to happen. And I got to say, I didn't see a single person um, when we were leaving the stadium when they called the game, a single person, you know, Bad about mad. I didn't see a single, you know, drunk idiot yelling about play the game. Like it was very somber. Everybody's head was down. We, I mean, we left at probably 10 o'clock. We went out to a, a bar afterwards and the, the bar was packed, but it was all very quiet. People just kind of sitting there, like, trying to And you're following this
1: the whole time, like, on social media type thing, trying to get updates? Trying, but, you know, inside the stadium, everybody's can't doing the same get thing, service. so you can't get
2: service, right? So uh, the guy next to us was able to get it on his YouTube TV or whatever, and we were able to sort of see it. Uh, my buddy Mark, who I was there with, uh, you know, he he thought pretty quickly the way he stood up and went down. It was probably some sort of heart issue. Um you know, but it was it was a surreal experience, and, and, and it took a whole day to process it. I was on the flight home the next morning sort of just kind of staring
1: out the window like, what happened yesterday? Yeah, okay, see? that's incredible. Uh, Chris Vandyhoof from Penn Lincoln Strategies. We're going to get into some Connecticut-related uh, politics in just a little bit, but right now uh, I have to – we're back with Chris Vandyhoof from Penn Lincoln Strategies here on Brian and & Company. And it's kind of like the silly season, right? You have all these bills filed. Some of them have – some don't even make it out of committee, correct? So we just talk about it because it's Connecticut, and we got nothing else to talk about. <laughs> but some of them are, are 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 interesting for a lot of different reasons. And one thing getting a lot of attention is this effort to keep bars open till four a.m. And we were both at one point single in Connecticut, and we would chase down whatever had the latest last call. Rest in peace, the half door. Yeah, I I, tell you, I don't know if you were listening, but I went I went to go on Saturday night, yeah, and it was closed <laughs> because a they didn't have any, any booze left. I think they had to restock for Sunday, and people were stealing stuff. What they were like taking mementos. I don't oh. know if they were taking like stuff off the wall or salt and pepper shaker. I don't know what they were doing, but there were notes. I can show you the notes during the break. Um, but yeah, I mean that was a that was a good spot for sure. And I understand the pandemic hurt these businesses, and you open longer. You can make more money, but does something like that? It's a good news story to write, but does it have any any chance of passing?
2: Yeah, that's a good question. This time of year, so many bills come out. Um, you know, last week alone, we had two or three days where we had 125 pages of legislative proposals out. The 4 a.m. bars being open to 4 a.m. being one of them. Uh, you know, I, it, it doesn't seem terribly likely to me right now. I know they're trying to to narrow it down to specific towns in Connecticut, right. including the casinos. You know, casinos have pushed this multiple times over the last probably decade or so of being allowed to be open longer. MGM in Springfield is open until four.
1: That'd be the the one place I would be okay with it, generally speaking. But I think in like towns and in other cities, I don't think I would be okay with it. Yeah, it, you know, it, I, I I don't know the
2: last time I was out till two a.m. Let alone four a.m.
1: I get up for work at three forty-five.
2: <laughs> so yeah, I you know I'm I'm with you, and I don't think. I don't know. I suppose we could probably find somebody who knows the answer to this, but I can't imagine that there's enough revenue to be made between the hours of 1:30 a.m. and 4 a.m. from a drinking standpoint. That's gonna it's gonna cover the gap that may still exist from being being shut down during COVID. Well,
1: just because you could, I guess you give people the option. Just because you could doesn't mean people will. I mean, we're old now, but I mean, I, I I don't know. It's been a long time since I've had any desire to stay out past. I mean, I, I mean Saturday was late for me, and I got home at 11. Yeah, I mean, it's just it's, But you said off off the air, there was you. You have a, an opinion on this, or? Yeah, I, I mean, I I don't I don't think that
2: we need to keep bars open to four o'clock in the morning. You know, I live in West Hartford. West Hartford Center is essentially the, the hangout part of yeah. of the greater Hartford area at this point. Uh, and and you know, there's enough traffic problems there. There's enough issues there during the week uh, that I can't imagine adding another two and a half hours of drinking are gonna be useful to the to the community. Um, but at the same token, you listen. You gotta. You have to understand that the restaurants and bars aren't doing what they were doing before 2020. Um, you know, and it's important to keep those vibrant and healthy. I'm just not sure that this is the. Yeah, I don't think the this way is to Any, do any it. chance
1: law enforcement doesn't want? I don't know what politicians want. I, I just don't see any clamor for it, and I don't think you're going to attract more young people to live in Connecticut because you can go to bars till four. Although, you know, I I think the casinos. I mean, almost all casinos stay. They serve alcohol very very late, so it's a competitive issue for for them, I, I would think. Um, wh- what about the wine in the grocery store story? I mean, is that? I mean, I know the lobbies. Are you? In, are you? I don't know if you have equity in either side of it. So if you if you do, then maybe you can't co- comment on it. But my my stance is that I mean, I love listen like M and R. Those liquor stores are great places. Right? Sure, I, I really love going to those places. But I I also think like why why not i mean why why wouldn't you be able to do that you can do it in a bunch of other states
2: so i do represent the farm bureau and i'm waiting to get some more information on the egg issue that okay. we can go back to all, all right. right yeah um, we want answers on we, the eggs I'm working, I'm working on that right now uh, you know the grocery store package store thing is is so unique to connecticut right you go to cuz all the blue laws and stuff you mean yeah blue laws but you also go to other states you know my family still lives in ohio i mean you can buy liquor in grocery stores right and it, you know there are still liquor stores that are specified just for that Specifically for that, but you can go to the grocery you store. You can buy at the bourbon at Kroger's. And, buy bourbon at Kroger's, exactly right. And so, um, you know, but from a Connecticut standpoint, you know, I, I, I don't have a, a dog in the fight between liquor stores and the, and the grocery stores. What I'd love to see though is Connecticut's got some really great Connecticut made wine at Connecticut vineyards around the state. Why can't we sell that in Connecticut grocery stores, right? Why, why, are, why are Connecticut farms that are growing the grapes and making really good wine? Not be put in Connecticut.
1: That was a good stores. pivot. Although that would be a good way to promote the product, right? And then because you can just v- envision it, you know, you're picking up a couple things, and you're like, oh, let's get a bottle of wine. It's just it's a convenience factor that that I think is it's kind of a no brainer. But I understand the strength of the lobby on both sides. I just don't. Do you think it would put some package stores out of business?
2: You know, I don't know. I'm not enough in the business, but I, you know, if listen, if the only place I can get is good wine is the package store. And now I can get good wine at Stop and Shop or Big Y. It's going to hurt the package store. It's going to hurt the package
1: store. Yep. yep. We're talking with Chris Hoof from Penn Lincoln Strategies here and Brian and Company. The other thing I wanted to talk about, I I mean, these are topics that are interesting to me. You know, we had Stephanie Thomas on the show actually before, right after the election. We had her, her and and Denise Merrill just to talk about a whole bunch of things. And early voting is an issue. And I, I actually understand. I, I, and again, I come at all these from an independent lens. I don't really understand why you need a long runway on early voting. Like for me, if you want to vote, you should be able to figure out how to do it within a certain space of time. So give you one or two work days and a weekend, and that should be it. Like I don't know why it would need to be 10 days, but that's what she's recommending. And there are some recommendations up to the ACLU. I think I don't know if it's two weeks, but I don't don't really understand the argument for having such a big window. I, yeah, I'm, so I'm not engaged
2: on that issue. I know that that is the the crux of the whole issue is how much time? Is it a weekend? Wait, so
1: if you're not involved, you can have an opinion. I do have that's an opinion. A, yeah.
2: I'm, I'm going to get to okay. it. Okay. <laughs> but, it, you know, it, it's whether or not, you know, do you, do you need all, just a weekend? You know, is it starting Saturday morning at 6 a.m. that leads through then election day? So that's four days, basically. Right. You know, do you need a couple of extra days outside of just the Monday that, you know, the day before election day? You know, is a week the right amount of time? Just do from Tuesday to Tuesday. I don't know. It would seem to me that including a weekend at some point would be a useful, a useful prospect to, to take a look at. Of course, uh, I think another thing that you could certainly do is make election day a holiday, right? Make it a, a,
1: a paid day off of work for people. Can you do that on the state level, or does that have to be? Because I'm 100 percent in agreement with that. I mean, two holidays I'd like. I'd like the Monday after the Super Bowl to be a national holiday. 100 now. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Especially with what you got going there. And then I think that I think that you know it's it, There's so many holidays that I like to honor everybody who deserves to be honored, but I mean, there's utility to that that I think makes total sense. But I don't see that happening anytime soon. No, but I think that it's I think it is important thing to
2: evaluate from the federal level, right? That we talk about nationally that our voter turnout is so low from coast to coast, right? I I don't remember the exact number, but it's usually about forty five to fifty percent, if I recall correctly. Oh, might not that might even be high. Might be high. Okay, so. So say it's below that. Say it's below 45%. And the vast majority of reasons that people aren't voting according to them when they talk. It's because they have to work. They have to go to work, and they have to take care of the kids. And while the polls might be open from 6 a.m. to 8 p.m., that's really long, and that's Connecticut. Some states are 6 a.m. to 5 p.m., right? And so between kids and work, can you make it to the polls by 6 a.m.? Can you make it to the polls before they close at 5 p.m.? That seems ridiculous. So if it's a national holiday, then... You can. You should be able to make it.
1: So, in your giving an opinion, you're is ten days
2: too much? I don't know if I think ten days is too much. I think that you have to find a, the the right amount of time. Uh, I think you have to include a weekend at least, and and in, in, in you know one
1: or two work days. Ten days seems like a long time. Yeah, me, to me it does. I mean, I I'm all for, and I just think about it. What what you can learn ten days before an election. So I think. Two weekdays and a weekend is is plenty. Selective. Now, how did
2: you come up with two weekdays? Why
1: not three weekdays? I just think it's enough. Okay. I mean, I, you know, I mean, there's no, I have no, there's no data behind what I say. I'm just <laughs> bsing, but that's just my my gut, and I just, I tend to trust my gut. Maybe it's three, but it's certainly not five. And I just don't think we need five weekdays. But I, I mean, that's just that's my sense of things. Uh, we had to take a quick uh, break here to get to Bob Cox and some news. We'll talk about Connecticut making it more affordable. You know, we're going to talk to Chris Deepentima from CBIA in a few minutes as well. And, you know, what what can government do to do that? And there's so much job boning, about 100,000 jobs that are open in Connecticut. And then, can we talk tickets later? Because I want to. Okay. We're hearing tomorrow. All right. So I want to talk about that as well. There's a story on TV about the comeback of paper maps. I mean, I don't know, Chris, about you. We're talking with Chris Vandihoff from Penn Lincoln Strategies. I mean, you. Has GPS been there for your whole life? No, you. When no, you, no, I had maps.
2: Used to keep the, the the atlas in my car.
1: Yeah, and I remember like my dad would write out directions. I keep them in the glove compartment. Did you ever print out MapQuest? Or- <laughs> absolutely, no absolutely. Which is pretty dangerous when you think about it. But I can't imagine a scenario. My wife loves maps. We still have like the big, the big, huge. Yeah, I collect gazetteer maps. stuff. I have or maps whatever. in my office.
2: I have old maps, 1862, I think it's my oldest. From on the wall? On the wall, yeah. Oh, that's really maps cool. Maps are really cool, but for driving a car, if the computer will tell me where to go and I don't have to look at it. Right. You going to, Did you
1: get the trip tick from AAA when you were... Oh, yeah. But my dad was amazing because my dad would write it out in freehand because he could do it from memory and then I would just keep it in the glove. So there's a couple places I knew I had to go a lot. But sometimes I wasn't comfortable enough knowing how to go. I just had my dad's directions, but I can't imagine... We have a map. My dad has a map of all of Cape Cod that takes up a whole wall and it has one of those ba- those little things and you measure it out. It's just They are cool, but I can't imagine they're making a comeback in the car. But either way. Um, listen, I wanted to talk about a, – a, a, let's talk about the ticket thing because you know a lot about it because it's kind of – you do a lot of – you used to work for a ticket company and you still do work in the business. And for me, the music stuff with Taylor Swift, not only are the tickets – ridiculously expensive but you can't get them and basically i think it's a shell game that they just try to squeeze the most money out of us which is it's a business and i get it and i know like musicians they don't make money off of their songs as much anymore so they need concerts to make more money which is an inverse of what it was when we were growing up but like i i was i was so frustrated with the fee side of it but you're like you dismiss that pretty pretty handily in your opinion so wh- where should the consumer be mad
2: well, I, no, I, fees are something to be mad at. I don't think that the fees as it relates to concert tickets is a huge issue. The federal government's looking at something called junk fees, as we were just talking about off the air, which is fees across basically the tourism industry, right? Fees with hotels, fees with rental car companies, fees with airlines, fees with concert tickets, right? And what are these fees? What are they? The delivery fee, for example, is a is a furiating fee. It doesn't cost Ticketmaster $2.50 to email me a barcode, right? Nope. So that is a fee that I would agree with, but $2.50 isn't making your $100 ticket unaffordable, right? And so- But if, they're
1: like 30, something, like a hundred something ticket, there's like 30 something bucks worth of fees. Right. And and I, so if the ticket was just
2: $130, would you still buy the ticket and it didn't save fees? Because it does cost money to run the business, right? And a breakdown of a $100 ticket isn't just money going to Ticketmaster.
1: I would be okay with that if the ticket price- had n- didn't g- have any margin for them at all. Well, so if they get a margin off the ticket price and then they get the fees, that argument to me is is not great because if they're still getting a big margin off the ticket and they get the fees, that's garbage in my opinion.
2: Well, I think that the, the bigger garbage thing is the fact that Live Nation, which is the parent company of Ticketmaster, so they run the, all the, the primary ticket, multi-billion dollar primary ticket company. Right. They also own and manage 80% of the major venues in this country and they're one of the world's largest talent management and so, when Ticketmaster comes out tomorrow at the down in D.C. at the Judiciary Committee hearing and says, "Oh, it's the artist who wants to do this or the venue who wants to do this," you know that's garbage because Live Nation manages the venue, they manage the artist. It's up to Live Nation who owns Ticketmaster, right.
1: how this all works. The consolidation was allowed because freestanding businesses couldn't succeed on their own. It's
2: a good question. They've evaluated this a couple times in D.C. and have allowed the merger to stand. Um, but you know, there's some, I think there's some momentum now to, to review this after the Taylor Swift ticket sale fiasco from what was that two months ago, three months ago. Um, so tomorrow in, in Washington DC, uh, the Senate judiciary committee is having a hearing, uh, on sort of the ticket pricing, how tickets are available to folks, uh, what happened with the Taylor Swift thing, you know, and, and the flip side of that too, to your point about artists don't make money the way they used to, there's only one Taylor Swift. Right, there's not they're, they're, the vast majority of artists can't sell out uh, an arena or a, a stadium. In fact, it's not even the vast majority; it's 98 percent of them are sure. playing it up in Foxborough, right? right? And it's so it's Elton
1: John, Ed Sheeran, Taylor I mean, there's right. like Kenny Chesney. It's four people. or five of yeah.
2: them. Um, you know, so what's what's happening with the smaller groups, right? Uh, so at some point, Ticketmaster's probably or Live Nation's probably not paying those folks what they should be paid, and so they're churning music out on Apple Music or Spotify or wherever you might get your music. They're not making the money they used to make when we were buying CDs at the at the record store. Right. It's strawberries. Right. It's strawberries. Uh, and now they're probably not making the amount of money that they would have made back in the Ticketron days of selling out venues to help sell their albums because people aren't buying albums. And so... You know, I think that the feds need to take a, a really hard look at the primary ticket market in, in D C and I hopefully that tomorrow's a start starting that.
1: Chris Vandyhoof from Penn Lincoln Strategy sticking around and we're gonna welcome in Chris Teep and Tima from CBIA in just a second. By the way, did you watch I just saw a commercial with, with Rob Gronkowski, did you watch when Gronkowski was on set with like uh, Terry Bradshaw and Jimmy Johnson? They did not want him there. I did not. No? no, they did not want him there. And he was acting like he was gonna be there next year and like um, who's we? Uh, you're not part of the we. Uh, one of the huge questions, you know, talked about with Governor Lamont and and by others is, you know, how to grow Connecticut. How, how how do you attract businesses? How do you make Connecticut more affordable? All these questions, and and what can government can government be a force for good toward that end? Uh, and, CBIA came out with a bunch of recommendations last week, and we wanted to catch up with Chris Deepantima, President and CEO of CBIA, and, and and Chris is sticking around as well. Um, so we have two Chris's. Uh, Chris on the phone. Good morning. How are you, sir?
0: Hey, Brian and Chris. How are you? I'm doing well.
1: Listen, I you know, in terms of the strategies that you think moving forward, I in general like that hundred thousand open jobs. I'm just curious are those. Good jobs? Are they high paying? Are they low paying? Are they high skill? Are they low low skill? Like, what is there a consistent theme among those openings?
0: Yeah, I mean, when you look at jobs in Connecticut, generally they're they're high paying, especially compared to the to the rest of the country, Brian. But they're they're all over the place. They're entry level to the most highest skilled jobs we have. They're in every industry sector, from manufacturing to construction to truck drivers and insurance, cybersecurity and IT. Um, there, it's just such a broad spectrum and, you know, generally speaking, yeah, they're, they're, they're career opportunities. This isn't, you know, there's certainly jobs that are available for, uh, the students who maybe have just graduated or, you know, on, on a winter or summer break at, at, uh, restaurants and, and local, um, coffee shops. And, and those are, those are good paying jobs too. Our restaurants pay well, um, especially with minimum wage in Connecticut being at, you know, 15 bucks an hour and most, most places are offering, more than men wage, you know, most entry level jobs are $20 an hour. So it's, um, it's all, it's all over the place. The the hundred thousand jobs really hasn't changed since a year ago. That's probably one of the biggest concerns, even though we added 40,000 jobs in 2022, we, we didn't make a dent because the, the pace of business growth is, is outstripping, um, you know, the job growth in Connecticut. And, and we need to figure out how to, how to make a dent in that. Well, what do
1: we do? I mean, what, what, that was the, the key part. It's like, what do you, what do we do? How do you solve it?
0: Yeah, you know, we, we proposed the 12 solutions that you you mentioned in our Transform Connecticut pledge. This actually goes back to September. We were, we were one of the first groups to come out with a, a package of recommendations because we wanted it to be the topic of conversation during during the campaign season when folks were, were talking about what they were gonna do to, to transform Connecticut or move the needle in the Connecticut economy. We, we wanted to put that package in front of them. And it's, it's trans, transitioned right into the session which started a couple of weeks ago as, as our agenda for the session. And it's really three buckets when you look at it. For us, it's the cost of doing business. And CBIA has been around for uh, you know 208 years now. We've been around since 1815. And generally, CBIA, the business association for the state of Connecticut, is always advocating for making the state more affordable for our businesses because we know that if businesses are able to pay a little less in right. taxes, they generally invest that back in their businesses. Can, can I just in-
1: interject for a second, Chris? I'm yeah. sorry, because that to me yeah. is like – Yes, but what are the specific? Like, what specific can be done to lower costs for businesses or make it more affordable? Like, those are great goals, but they're very. Those are generic goals. Like, well, I'm, I'm. I don't know what specifics. Can, what can government do, or what can public-private partnerships do to actually achieve that?
0: Yeah, we, we've got four specific tax uh, decreases, if you will, that they can do for businesses. The governor actually had a press conference last week, and I think you may have had someone come on. Shortly after that, talking about a, a little bit of a complex thing called the pass-through entity tax. And yeah, can um, you okay explain it? Can you
1: explain it a little bit for the in lay, yeah. layman's terms?
0: Yeah, yeah. The pass-through entity tax applies to all pass-through entities in Connecticut, which are generally our smaller businesses. There's about 122,000 pass-through entities in Connecticut: S corps, LLCs, and partnerships. And those businesses uh, basically got a tax. Which sounds weird that we would tax businesses, and that would be good. But they got a tax to offset a SALT cap, a state and local tax that was put in place uh, in 2017. Well, when our state finances weren't that great in 2018, we actually reduced that uh, for the businesses. So they weren't able to get a full deduction on their federal tax returns. And the governor announced last week, you know, his first press conference on a detailed priority for this session, that he's going to restore that pass through tax back to its a full amount. And that will apply to all of our pass-throughs. And so that, that's really a broad-based tax reduction for our small businesses. Uh, another one we're advocating for is extending the research and development tax credit to the same pass-through entities. Right now, our, our larger C-Corps can take advantage of the research and development tax credit, but our smaller businesses can't. And that encourages investments in our businesses here in Connecticut and processes and capital and really entrenches their roots in the state so that they're even growing more and more. Uh, in Connecticut, and, and a simple one that we have, Brian, a really a small tax reduction from from a fiscal note point of view is eliminating the sales and use tax on training dollars. It's, it, you know, we're discouraging businesses to invest in training of their employees. Uh, if you remove that tax, we free up dollars so that businesses can do even more training at a time when we're so desperate to fill these jobs. We need to upskill people more and more. So that's the example of lowering the cost of business uh, here in Connecticut. Right.
1: All right, Chris. We're tight on time. We appreciate it as always, and and you know you can obviously um, go to CBI's website, I'm sure, and, and see all the details of the proposals. And hopefully, we'll talk again soon. Have you in studio, maybe? All
0: right, that'd be great. Take care, man.
1: All uh, right, Chris Deepantima from CBIA. I mean, what is like? Do you have Chris? I mean, Chris in studio, Chris of Andy <laughs> Um You know, you've been in Connecticut as a young adult, as a married, as a dad. You work here. I mean, what do you think in a minute or less could be done at the at the government level, whether you know, legislature or bills or whatever, to to help this problem? Yeah, I I love the R and D tax credit thing. You know, I mean, Connecticut's
2: loaded with really talented and smart people, and and getting them to work on research and development so that we're growing and continuing to innovate, uh, I think, is a really important thing. And you know, f- young folks especially who coming out of college want to do something that impacts their community in a positive way and i think that you know being innovative uh is a is a way to do that the pastor and would they,
1: if they did that and you think there would be an immediate impact
2: I, I do yeah i do i really do hey listen uh chiefs Bengals, give me a score uh 31 21 Bengals joe burrow goes 4-0 and against patrick mahomes That's uh really hard to in do the last year i mean you know they're saying now on the on on all the talking heads, if if Joe Burrow wins this time, then he's real. Well, I mean, how, what, how four times is it? That's what it takes. That's what it takes. It's hard to beat anybody three, four on the road. I mean, it's all he does. He just keeps he just keeps beating Patrick Mahomes. Wins wins it enough. I think Mahomes is hurt too. Yeah, Matt, that ankle
1: looked bad. Matt, do you think who do you, th- you think that the Bengals can win? I don't care about
2: Patrick Mahomes' ankle or anything. That's a soft excuse. Honestly, I, I think the Bengals are going to win. I don't think it's going to be that high scoring, but I'll say like 27, 23.
1: I take it. Oh, that's a stressful one, though. That's a little more They're stressful. They're all stressful with the Bengals, man. I, I mean, they, they 40 love 40 years against me. I
2: can't remember a team that's loved playing on the road more than the Cincinnati Bengals this season. I just, the,
1: the vibe it's of the team, the coach going into the bar and all that stuff, like they just great. seem like a good group. Remember last night? One o'clock in the morning? Yeah, I saw I saw the video. <laughs> Chris, it's great to have you. We appreciate it. Thanks, Brian. As Thanks. always, Chris Mandia from Penn Lincoln Strategy.